4: Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music
3: critic at the Chicago Sun-Times, and I'm Greg Kotz. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to welcome agit poet and rocker Saul Williams.
4: Plus, we'll review the new album from the indie pop band Los Campesinos,
3: and then it's Greg's turn to add a track to the Desert Island Jukebox. You are listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time to welcome our newest affiliate. Yes, Greg, it's time to welcome WHDD-FM in Sharon, Connecticut.
4: We always like to uh, greet a new station by playing some rock and roll from their area. In the case of Sharon, Connecticut, nearby is Lakeville, which is home of the Hotchkiss School, which produced one of the most important figures, I think, in music in the 20th century.
3: Absolutely. Imagine 20th century music without John Hammond, uh, one of the great talent scouts. I think it would be a very different place. He brought a number of artists to the fore ahead of their time. In other words, he was a visionary guy. He saw Mm -hmm. the talent, and he saw the way these people could change music before people around them did. brought people like Benny Goodman and Count Basie and Billie Holiday to the fore in the 30s and 40s, and then generation after generation introduced Robert Johnson to a legion of rock and rollers in the early 60s by releasing his early music and blowing the minds of people like Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones and John Lennon of of the Beatles, putting out the music of Aretha Franklin and Pete Seeger, signing Bob Dylan. It was called Hammond's Folly at Columbia at the time. And this guy with this (laughs) voice, you're going to sign him? He can't sing. (laughs) He can't sing. Lo and behold, Bob Dylan influencing another one of his signings, uh, Bruce Springsteen, a decade later. And in honor of John Hammond, and in our addition to WHDD-FM in Sharon, Connecticut. Let's play a song from Dylan's debut record, which was produced by Hammond, released in 1962 when Dylan was only 20 years old. Here's one of two original songs on that record. It's called Song for Woody from Bob Dylan on Sound Opinions.
2: I'm out here a thousand miles from my home Walking a road, other men have gone down I'm seeing your world of people and things Here yeah, poppers paupers and peasants and princes and kings Hey, hey, Woody Guthrie, I wrote you a song About a funny old world that's a-coming along Seems sick and it's hungry, it's tired and it's torn It looks like it's a dying and it's hardly been born Hey, Woody Guthrie, but I know that you know All the things that I'm a-saying and many times more I'm a singing you the song, but I can't sing enough. Cause there's not many men who have done the things that you've done.
4: Song for Woody by Bob Dylan. Welcome to WHDD FM in Connecticut. I'll be the one. Greg, Madonna owns the candy shop, and she is charging top dollar if you want some sweets from her, at least on her coming North American tour. Ticket prices are expected to be $350 on the floor of the arena. That's not enough coin, not for Madonna. She has also cut a deal with StubHub.com, which proudly calls itself the leading secondary ticket reseller in the country. We've got Sean Pate on the line, the director of corporate communications for StubHub. Welcome to the show, Sean.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this Madonna deal. She's the first major music artist who has officially embraced the secondary market on this uh, official scale. Uh, what's What's the deal behind this deal?
1: Well, it's really exciting deal, obviously for us, and certainly a groundbreaking deal in the industry. The, you know, historically, the music industry has been a bit resistant to working with a secondary market company like StubHub. Some. Some for ethical and philosophical reasons, others just because of the stigma that's associated with it and, and some of the old schools of thought. But Madonna, being the trend-setting artist that she is and a very progressive thinker, has, has taken the leap to uh, officially endorse us as that fan-to-fan ticket marketplace for her
3: What's in it for Madonna? What's what's the nature of the deal? I understand uh, there's been uh, talk about a flat fee to Madonna plus a percentage of sales. Can you give us some details about what exactly she's getting out of this deal?
1: Sure. Yeah, I can't go into too much detail about the uh, the financial considerations, but there are financial considerations, obviously. And uh, I think the uh, Wall Street Journal captured some of those. Um, You know, essentially that you know Madonna is going to be you know getting a piece of the pie, and uh, that is something that a lot of artists in the industry have been looking at our market and, and figuring out, you know, how can we work with or, or we would love to work with or uh, get a piece of those uh, profits that are being made from the resale of the tickets that are happening uh, for even, you know, sold, sold out shows and, and shows across the country.
4: Sean, let me, uh, you know, there's a second side here to to a lot of the language you're using. When you talk about secondary market, a lot of people in the music industry would prefer the term scalpers. You know, StubHub is is enabling uh, scalpers to sell tickets at four, five, six, ten times the price that the artist originally set for them. Jam Productions, one of the largest promoters independently in the U.S. remaining, based here in Chicago, has been fighting scalpers for years. The state of Illinois uh, actually has a, has a very stringent anti-scalping ordinance, and they've been frustrated. They believe that the price that the artist originally charged is the one that should go.
1: You know, it's a really interesting argument and certainly one that we've been talking about for many years as as our business has grown and come into a a lot of popularity. And and really, when you think of the word scalping, first of all, why does scalping, that word, apply to tickets, for instance? And why does scalping scalping not apply to, uh, let's say, your real estate broker or the baseball card dealer or a stockbroker or an art dealer any of those particular items are often sold over the value that you paid for them originally but they're sold at a market value and so tickets are just the same and can be treated like a commodity. Yeah, but but,
4: but Sean, we've seen um, uh, scalpers or ticket brokers, if you prefer, use any uh, number of nefarious means through the years, and this is well documented, to, to jump in front of the line, if you will. They have computer programs which besiege Ticketmaster with thousands of phone calls. You know, before that, they used to hire homeless people here in Chicago to stand in line. <laughs> you know, scalping, I think, is a pretty justifiable name.
1: Right. Well, you know, I mean, again, Again, you have to think about the way that tickets are acquired today. And, again, if somebody is building a business on acquiring tickets for resale, then they're going to certainly try a lot harder than the average fan who just needs four tickets to go with their friends on a Friday. And, again, we're talking about the American capitalist economy. So you have to think about in that, in that dynamic, there are people out there that are going to see an opportunity, and those are the very you know, small population of ticket brokers in, the, in America that literally buy to resale.
3: Sean, you got to make the case here. Uh, as the head of corporate communications of StubHub, I understand how Madonna uh, makes out on this. She's going to be selling tickets for two to three hundred dollars at face value for this upcoming tour. I'm sure the tickets have not been announced yet, but that was the case for the, her last tour. She's going to be able to now benefit and ha- of the resale of those tickets for maybe thousands of dollars. How is this good for consumers, though? I wonder how the concert-goer is going to benefit from a business deal like this.
1: Well, there's a, there's a couple reasons. And one, I would say getting a ticket in this day and age is a difficult situation, regardless of the Stubhubs of the world. We actually, I would you know, argue, certainly are the solution to finding tickets. But if you think about it, people don't always know when a show is going on sale. They certainly, if they do know, they might not be able to get a ticket. And then when you get onto a uh, buy a ticket for a show, you literally have a limited choice of the best available within what you want to spend. And so there's so many different factors that work into that. When What Madonna's doing is endorsing uh, a company that has been in business for uh, eight years and is really the most popular resale marketplace out there.
3: With with Live Nation uh, divorcing itself from Ticketmaster, Sean, what is to say that the next step is not a completely open market where there's bidding literally on every concert ticket? Do you see that scenario unfolding in the next few years?
1: You know, it's been something that's been discussed, and certainly in the industry, it's it's uh, you know dynamic pricing and, and auctions and things have been have been uh, dabbled with for for many um, artists over the last few years. But I, I think in the the, the large scale, when you talk about filling a, a venue of fifteen to 20,000 seats, uh, it's not practical to set pricing in a completely open market. What we do see more and more is that the the premium seats in, a, in an arena is, you know, the front 10 rows or, you know, the, the choice views are, are now started, starting to escalate up to those premium levels. Uh, you know, I'm looking actually at what Madonna is charging for her um, – for her shows this coming tour, and and you know the main floor is three hundred and fifty dollars uh, for a face value, so uh, that is what Madonna uh, believes is going is is a fair price to charge based on pro- a number of factors. But,
4: uh, are we got to let you go, Sean, director of corporate communications for StubHub. Thank you for being on Sound Opinions. Great, thanks for having me, guys. That is a rendition of U2's classic song Sunday Bloody Sunday by Saul Williams, our guest this week on Sound Opinions. Saul made a lot of news earlier in the year after releasing his Trent Reznor-produced album exclusively on the web. While he was out on tour with his band, Greg and I invited him to come by for an interview and live performance. We are here With Saul Williams, poet, rapper, actor, activist,
3: hell of a fascinating artist.
4: Thanks for coming, Saul. Well, thanks for the compliment.
3: And a road-weary band, don't forget. Oh, yeah, Yeah, road-weary band.
4: (laughs) Um, Extraordinary album. The Inevitable Rise and Liberation of Niggy Tardust. Indeed. Greg and I talked about it a lot when it came out as art and as a business story. Why don't we start with the business story? Okay. Uh, Because that's still in effect today. Working with producer Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails and collaborator, he he co-wrote some of the material with you. You guys put it out on the net in a twist on what Radiohead did. Radiohead said, pay Whatever you think it's worth, you guys said you can take it for free, or you can pay slightly more, a couple of dollars for a higher five bucks bucks for a higher Mm -hmm. fidelity version.
5: And choose which version you want. You could get it in FLAC. You can choose the bit rate. And we also included a 33-page PDF of original artwork done by Andre B. Metoyer, who's the artistic director of the tour and what have you. So, uh, yeah, we found a way to embed our uh, our download with a lot more information.
3: 260,000 people have downloaded The Inevitable Rise and Liberation of Niggi Tardis since it came out last fall, and now uh, 60,000 of those people have paid. Uh, One of the things that's really apparent from this total, that's twice as many as bought your previous album. Thanks. So those
4: are pretty. <laughs> half, those are pretty half good half results, full, you know. You, you, only, only, only. Uh. Well, that's
5: the thing about when my last album came out. It came out at a time when when the music industry was was suffering in some ways more than it is now. So yeah, I sold less albums then. I'm not sure how many people I reached. Of course, now we artists have found a way to make our work more accessible and. And people seem to be more inspired to pay in certain cases. In our case, I would say that's been the case. Um, it doesn't surprise me that the amount of people that have downloaded it for free, it makes perfect sense to me. I imagine that those 265,000 people of them, maybe two of them heard of me before.
3: <laughs> well it's instructive because I think you know absolutely it's all you don't have the name recognition that say a radiohead does right. or a nine inch nails and they've had extremely successful attempts at and doing I've the same kind of thing
5: for a long time, and I'm pretty new to the scene yeah
3: but it's still this is an incredible success It seems to go hand in hand with the fact that you are on the road now people can actually see it they've heard about this guy hey, what's this all about it seems like the shows are being very well attended though
5: Yeah, most of the shows, including tonight, last night, just about every single one has been sold out.
4: And the fact is that even if someone didn't buy it online, they're coming tonight and you're getting their $15.00 ticket. Not See only that, at.
5: they're buying t-shirts, they're buying CDs, they're buying books, and they're also, I mean I had this happen to me four times last night I get all these kids who walk up to me and say hey man, I promised myself if I, if I ever met you, I was going to give you this $5 because I don't have a credit card. <laughs> so I have all these kids who are underage handing me five bucks.
4: Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So you've always got pocket chains. Yeah, exactly. So Guys in the band, keep that about. in mind. He's, he's buying every night.
3: You know, Jim before we talk about the music, which is amazing i think the best thing to do would be to have you guys play cool
5: um we have a song that's that's been crazy on the airwaves and tv right now because nike decided to use it for their uh mm. my better campaign it's called list of demands it's off my own old album the self-titled one and uh why don't we start with that because it's a good way to get my right. voice jumping all right cool let's start it the name of the song is list of demands let's do it <laughs>
6: I'm down here drowning in your bed. You got me on my knees praying for everything you got. Like. I ain't afraid of you I'm just a victim of your fear You cower in your tower praying that I disappear I got another plan one well, that requires me to stand On the stage in the street Don't need no mic on the beat And if you hear this song and you ain't dead, they sing along Back and suckin' this hand drunk Yo, yo, get me over now I gotta listen to man It's about to go pow. I'm standing on the threshold of the ups and the downs Call up the truth Cause I'm about to break loose Protecting your concern, I'm breaking out of my new I gotta listen to men Waiting on the palm of my head I found my business You were no right there We're living there tomorrow. You wanna be somebody
3: Live performance of List of Demands by Saul Williams and his band on Sound Opinions. When we return after a short break on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, Jim and I are going to talk to Saul about how that song was chosen to be used for a TV advertisement.
5: all been said and done. His completions won't complete me. I've divided me by one. I'm the answer to his riddle. I'm the caution of his win. I'm the spoolage between tongue and teeth beneath his trembling grin. And I dare my revision for I dare not suffer twice and I dare not reinvent the past and I dare not be the Christ and I welcome any sufferer and I welcome any Saul sitting in this room on wooden bench waiting for joy to call.
6: And I suffer here alone, Lord, put her by my every thought how i've tried to strip them to the bone i've struggled and i've fought every jealous warped intention smuggled on into my jeans
4: Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're continuing our discussion with Saul Williams, who just performed this song, "List of Demands." We asked the musician and activist about his controversial decision to sell
3: the track to an ad. What a great song! Nobody knew what was around in 2004. Now, all of a sudden, it's in your face on a mm-hmm. on a gym shoe ad. Part of me is saying, "Well, man, a gym shoe ad." The other part of it is me saying. Some Shoe ad executive really knows his music better than any radio programmer <laughs> in the country. Met the guy. I should met him. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you you've made a reputation as being a guy up on his issues, a, mm-hmm. an activist. What was the thinking that went into putting a song like that uh, with an ad- advertisement?
5: Well, it was real simple. You know, I was uh, approached by Nike after they had already made the commercial. And uh, they sent me uh, an email saying, look at this. (laughs) What do you think? Do you approve? And uh, my thought was real simple. I know that a corporation the size of Nike, first of all, I've known... For the past couple of years that they, like most corporations nowadays, have been trying to find a way to respond to all of the, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of worldwide complaints that they've been getting about the ethical treatment of workers and what have you. And so I knew that Nike was working on things the same way Adidas claims to be, whether it's face value or something they're actually doing is up to them. But they have at least hired people to help them shift their companies. And like Walmart going green or McDonald's selling veggie burgers, they're all trying to shift towards something more ethical. My thought was, was, was pretty simple along the lines of a company the size of Nike, their sales don't fluctuate with their ads. People don't watch a Nike ad and go, oh, I got to go download those sneakers. But they do watch <laughs> the ad and go, I got to download that song. And that's exactly what's happened. There's been no spike in Nike ads over the past three weeks. But there have been a spike in people turned on to my music. And thus, you know, not only my music, but since I'm labeled as, you know, a message person turned on to what I think about, what I believe in through my writings, through my music and what have you. Um, And I also don't have the belief. I feel like a lot of my fans, some of them have this sense of like, They believe that saying F you from the sidelines is the most powerful thing that you can do. Whereas I see it as kind of apathetic. I don't believe that the power of the corporations is more powerful than the power of music or the power of an artist. So that I believe that it's possible, just like Bono knows that it's possible, for individual artists to shift how executives, if I can inspire a student, I can inspire an executive. It's really that simple, and right. and
4: and the
3: commercial essentially
4: is a commercial for Saul Williams. It's hard to,
3: you know. It took me ten views to figure out it was actually a gym shoe ad because exactly. I was like, the song is amazing. You know, it's like you want to go. Where's that song? No. Like you got to get, gotta get the song.
5: I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like my songs sell one product. And that is to inspire a sense of self-empowerment in the listener, to get them to question the norm, to get them to question the role of music, the role of art, and the role that they can play in today's society. And even if, you know, a corporation such as Nike chooses to use my song, that's the product that my song will sell before it sells theirs.
4: In selling those things, Saul, you are a published poet. How is the song a more powerful tool to sell your ideas and and your beliefs than, than the poem?
5: Well, it's because music, you know, transcends barriers that poetry alone often cannot because of our own hesitation, you know, to give our ear, time, attention, focus to this abstract art form. And so uh, for me as a poet, realizing, one, the music within my poetry, and then working towards bringing that out through music, through hip-hop, through rock and roll, through radio, through recordings. It does spread a message, but I, I have to be honest, that's not why I make music.
4: Right. right.
5: I make music because I like to dance, and I can't count on other artists to make music that I can dance to.
2: You know, Because <laughs> a lot
5: of people go on about my message and my lyrics, but if you listen to my beats, they're pretty different from other beats. And that's what excites me. That's where the lyrics come from, is the inspiration of finding these new beats.
3: Well, it's also uh, creating categories. People love to put people in categories, and that's something that you've been fighting your entire career. I mean, you've been making music since the late, since the '90s. and yeah. uh, you know, people see black urban artist who's a poet. Well, a rapper. Yeah, you know it's, I mean, automatically kind of the stereotype that you're fit into, and I know that Rick Rubin, who's made a, a few pretty significant records over oh the last God, few yeah. decades, wanted to make a hip-hop record with you, and what he got was not a hip-hop record.: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm the American born of peace
6: and blood. Yeah.
5: had a lot of difficulty trying to understand what it was that I was trying to do. Of course, I had a lot of difficulty articulating that as well because it was the first music that I ever wrote and I, I, I wasn't really accomplished or didn't I didn't know anything about writing songs so that Amethyst Rockstar um, contains pretty much the first songs I ever wrote and he listened to that and just said, these guitar riffs you're writing are cliche. Have you ever even listened to Sabbath? Have you ever listened to you know? <laughs> And And unfortunately, my answer was like, No. (laughs) You know, and and so uh, I had a lot of research to do. I had a lot of homework to do, and and that's what I've been doing over the years. And my goal with my second album, the self-titled one that listed demands and Black Stacey and that's that's the one where I was trying, you know, trying to reflect a lot of the homework that I'd been doing and focusing on songwriting. And then this one with Trent, was was really me feeling confident about where I am as a musician now?
3: Let's. Uh, you want to play something from the new record um, to sort of illustrate that? Sure. Um, is there
5: anything you want to hear from
3: the new record? Uh, it's great stuff. The inevitable rise and liberation of Niggy Tardis. We're going to talk about the title and the significance behind some of the lyrics in a minute. But uh, I'm a
4: huge fan of Convict Colony. Convict yep. Colony is a great track.
5: All right, let's go for it.
6: I don't think you're I not you And you don't really want it. No. So, don't. Well. Well.
4: Convict Colony by Saul Williams from The Inevitable Rise and Liberation of Niggy Tardust. This is as fine a punk, metal, uh, experimental rock, hip-hop, or soul band as we've ever had here. It's a a four-piece group, uh, guitar, keyboards, sampler, electronics, and a little tiny symbol on a seriously big stand. Uh, Let me me see if I get your names right, guys. It's CX Kidtronic, Kwame, Brent, Pierce, and uh, Davin? Devan, Dave Devan. And Devan, Devan. Yeah. Dave and Devan. Okay. Um, you only have one intensity, and it's 100%. On stage, you, you, you know, when I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, and in the past, you've said, you know, the goal of too much hip hop today is to be cool. Everybody's yeah. cool. Your goal is, is very old school punk rock. I you want
5: to lose, lose my it. cool. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I go for. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
3: Yeah. Um, you also reference in this work, uh, obviously, an iconic concept record, uh, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Star- Stardust, 1973 Bowie record. Yeah. How did that figure into your thinking uh, in creating this Niggy Tardust character?
5: Well, you know, the thing I like about Bowie, you know, we were listening to, uh, to Hunky Dory today, and I was thinking about, you know, listening to the lyrics of Changes and, and you know, that whole, like, ode like, watch out, you rock and rollers, because you're going to get old. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh,
6: look out, you rock and roller.
5: And I was thinking about how Bowie found a way to transform his career and his art into something that challenged the media and inspired young people and inspired even other artists to to rethink how they think of what they're doing and why they're doing and what have you, and he theatricalized it, but also raised questions in his case surrounding, you know, gender and sexual identity and what have you. And that's seen as the first concept album. So my ode to Ziggy through Niggy I kind of thought like if I'm going to do a concept album, I'm going to give a shout out to the first concept album, the one that I know all these people love and adore, and dare them to say, "What right do you have?" <laughs> you know. And so that was the first thing. Um, but then secondly, it really is a beautiful shout out to, to Bowie because he is an inspiration. In that, when I think of the the challenges that I've had in my own career and him coming out as a folk artist initially, and the challenges that he faced in being boxed in this hippie sort of thing and going, "Nah, no, no, no." <laughs> No, <laughs> no, it's bigger than that. It, I really do relate to that transition and the theatricalizing it. That's my background. So in many ways, it just made perfect sense. Now the difference is, you know, the rise and fall versus the inevitable rise and in liberation, mm. and that's where a lot of my political I- ideology comes in. You know, and my belief in the fact that the truth does prevail. You know that it is inevitable that corporations become ethical. With time, that governments begin to reflect the will of the people more so. That just with time, we grow beyond the slavery of our past. We grow beyond our history. We grow beyond whatever we're born into, and begin to realize the role that we have—not as a race, which is a social construct, but as a species, as humanity—and realizing our role on this planet. I believe that that is inevitable.
3: Well, you tied it in with Bowie, you know, sort of attacking these ideas about what is gender, what is sexuality. Yeah. I mean, that album, you know, Bowie's previous album—he's appearing on the cover were in a dress. Yeah. It was shocking to people, you know? I know. They wouldn't even
5: (laughs) put it in some stores where they banned the image, right? Right.
3: So, uh, Niggy, I take it as sort of uh, your commentary on on these these race relations. All of these things
5: and all the N-word you know stuff that's going on like it was so I was so excited that all the n-word stuff started going on as I was creating this Nicky Tardust album because I thought that really the most beautiful thing I could do was to show how we could transform this abhorrent horrible thing into something that actually makes you want to smile because it's true the word nigger is horrible but niggy is cute undeniably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know you want to be down with niggie <laughs> you know you don't want to erase that from me you. you gotta like that but.
6: I say, niggy say nothing nigga nigga when i say nigga you say nothing nigga nothing.
3: shut up you're listening to sound opinions we're here with saul williams and his band how about another song guys
5: yeah um let's do uh let's do banged and blown through y'all
3: Excellent. Saul, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and bringing the band with you. You guys sounded great. Thank you.
4: To share your sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with a review of the latest from the multi-instrumental pop band Los Campesinos.
3: Listening to sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
6: The beats, yeah, they were coming at the speakers and were winding up straight in your sneakers and I'm dancing like every song, he spins his pistol like all my dance heroes. What if they existed? And yet, sadly, think that we're all just seamsters. And even if we were, it's not the senior thinking of across him across from nice boy back.
4: So I can dance a single step. Greg, that is the track You, Me, Dancing from Los Campesinos. You need the exclamation points. You need the exclamation points. (laughs) These guys are unduly fond of exclamation points. There's one after their name. There's one after every word in the title of that song, You, Me, Dancing. And also ellipses because they have a new album, their debut album, and it's called Hold On Now, Youngster. See, ellipses are harder to do than exclamation points. (laughs) If I'd gone to broadcast school, maybe I'd have learned these things. You uh, played that song when we came back from South by Southwest. You were very excited about this seven-piece indie pop buzz band from Wales. I did not see them, so I am just judging them by this recording, which I have to say has more glockenspiel than any record since Jethro Tull back (laughs) in the day. My goodness, you heard it there in that single. You hear it throughout this album. They are an orchestral pop combo. There's violin. There's all sorts of instruments. Everybody sings. The two main singers, I should also say that they all go by the name Campesinos, Mm -hmm. just like the brothers Ramones. There's a woman, Alexandra, and a guy named Gareth. They are the main voices. Let's play a track from this album. And uh, it, of course, has another exclamation point. Death to Los Campesinos from Hold On Now, Youngster, on Sound Opinions.
3: Los Campesinos with Death to Los Campesinos from their debut album, Hold On Now, Youngster. Yes, Jim, you are correct. I saw them at South by Southwest, and I love this band. Uh, It came at the end of an unusually slow night of music for me, and then seeing this band and seven people on stage... Who loved what they were doing? Got the whole crowd revved up. Yeah, uh, kind of like, kind of like a triple espresso laced with Red Bull, right? <laughs> and that leads me to my my review. I, I think that in order to appreciate this music, you need to be on something, uh, preferably a <laughs> lot of caffeine, preferably or, or or some high sugar content energy drink, and it will suit your mood perfectly. If you are in a regular kind of getting up uh, out of bed and kind of sleepy, kind of grumpy mode. This record may annoy you to no end. I, I put Gareth, the lead singer of the band, in the category of uh, Einar of the Sugar Cubes <laughs> and Fred Schneider of the B-52s is oh one of the goodness. three most a- annoying men in rock. But I have to say, there's an exuberance to this band that I really, really love when I'm in the mood for it. Uh, th- these songs hurtle at you with a speed and a just a buoyancy that I love. I'm not going to parse the lyrics. I realize oh. that there's a tremendous amount of pretentiousness in the lyrics, yes. but I am not listening for these lyrics. I saw a room full of people having a great time to this band. Glockenspiel or no Glockenspiel, this band rocks. And I have to say, the, the secret weapon in this band, I love Harriet. Harriet Campesinos, the violin no, no, player. no, you didn't
4: say the exclamation point. Harriet Campesinos!
3: <laughs> <laughs> she adds a lot to this band, a lot of texture, I love this band as a live entity. This is a hit and miss record. There are some great songs on there, and uh, not all of it works, but I'm going to give it a burn it on our buy it, burn it, trash it scale.
4: Greg, I'm going to concur with you. I give it a burn it as well. Although I think you let them off the hook a little easily. I mean, we have to look at these lyrics because these lyrics are so inside baseball. You know, I mean, great pop music throws open the doors and invites everybody to the party. And when you're name-dropping K records and beat happening and and acting as if you're way cool because you know who those references are, and and if you don't, you're not in our club, you're not welcome at our party, that puts me off. This music is so happy and so celebratory. I think it would be definitely a buy-it record if I didn't get cheesed off Every time I listen to the lyrics, especially on the part of Gareth Campesinos, because he's shooting to be like Eddie Argos of Art Brute or Jarvis Cocker of Pulp. But he's not nearly smart enough uh, uh, or deep enough. You know, maybe he will develop into that. And this might potentially become a really, really great band. It makes me angry, this record. Uh, It's an angry (laughs) burning. It makes you angry. Yeah, because I want it to be a buy it. There's no reason except for their own clubbiness that this should not be a buy it record tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just to cast away,
6: island lost at sea, oh. Now I'm stranded on my own. Sandy, far from home. Come on. Do you remember? We were shipwrecked together. Sandy,
4: I'm far from home. Sandy, yeah, mama. my that sound can only mean one thing. It is time to pop a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox. Greg Koch, what do you got for us?
3: Thank you, Jim. Our discussion of John Hammond at the top of the show got me thinking about the legacy that this man left. And we mentioned some of the big signings that he's had over the years. Uh, people from Count Basie to Bob Dylan to Bruce Springsteen. Everybody's heard of those people. But one of the sightings that he made in the late 60s, I think, was one of the most intriguing of all, and that was Leonard Cohen, Mm. Uh, a guy who doesn't get enough props as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's a recognized songwriter. His songs have been covered by numerous artists. Judy Collins put him on the map by covering his songs in the 60s. We've heard people like Jeff Buckley and John Cale and R.E.M. cover his songs. He's arguably more popular as a uh, songwriter. Than he is as a performer. But I think there's nothing quite like the experience of hearing Leonard Cohen perform his own songs in that very distinctive monotone, sing-speak, yeah, yeah. baritone voice of his. And you have to wonder again, when Hammond signs a guy like Cohen in his 30s, a published poet, you can imagine the people, the executives in Columbia Records going, What the heck are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Who is this guy? He can't even sing. And yet the prescience of Hammond's vision, I think, has been borne out over time. The body of work that Leonard Cohen has produced, beginning with his first record, just remarkable. That first record inspired Robert Altman, the great director, when he made this fascinating movie. Ever hear, ever see... uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, oh, yeah, kind of an anti western mm-hmm. and cohen 's music is all over that soundtrack, and it really sets the the tone for that movie cohen 's first record, Songs of Leonard Cohen, I think is one of the great debut albums of all time. It was made in his uh, when Cohen was in his early 30s. Hammond started to produce the record, was, got sick, so it was taken over by John Simon was just coming off working with the band and Simon & Garfunkel, Simon added some cool touches to the record, but it's really the center of this is Cohen's voice and those amazing lyrics and his guitar playing. Here's an example of what I'm talking about, the song Sisters of Mercy. Here it is on Sound Opinions. Oh, the
0: Sisters of Mercy, they are not departed or gone. They were waiting for me When I thought that I just can't go on And they brought me their comfort And later they brought me this song Oh, I hope you run into them You who've been traveling so long must leave everything that you cannot control It begins with your family, but soon it comes round to your soul Well, I have been where you're hanging, I think I can see it Only your loneliness says that you've sinned. yeah
4: Sisters of Mercy by Leonard Cohen on Sound Opinions. Good choice for the desert island. Mr. Cott, what do we have on
3: the show next week? Next week, Jim, we are going to unearth some buried treasures. Some great songs that you may not have heard of, but you can't live without. As always, we have some thank yous to say. The performance
4: by Soul Williams was recorded by Mary Gaffney and Sarah Toulouse. Our production team at Sound Opinions is Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. And our executive producer, Tori southside Malatia. from Henceforth shall have exclamation points in his name. So it's. Tori,
0: Southside, Malatia. We weren't lovers like that, and besides, it would still be alright.
3: We weren't On sound opinions, everyone's a critic, so give us a call on our hotline 1 888 859
6: 1800. Come on, And Answer your phone. Girl.
0: New messages.
1: Hi, Jim Greg. This is Aaron from Chicago, calling to give a second opinion on your diagnosis of Joel. I think this is really indicative of what's wrong with the American medical system. Most doctors just don't seem to listen. Joel said that he wanted to rock out and you prescribed Sparkle Horse. I think that uh, pretty much borders on malpractice. So I have three alternative prescriptions that uh, are both grounded in uh, American roots music and can still rock your socks off.
2: Uh, The most obvious prescription would have been uh, Modest Mouse, I think. Fire it up When we finally turn it over Make a beeline towards the boulder Have a drink You've had enough Fire it up A couple lesser-known ones would be Murder death by Death from Bloomington,
1: Indiana or Odess from Brooklyn. Thanks a lot for the uh, great work. Fire it up. Hi, my name is Nicole. I'm from
2: Washington, Illinois here, and I just have a comment about the segment you just put on about the gentleman needing something that rocks but still has roots. Um, something to match up a little bit with the white stripes would be the black keys Same general but they rock so much harder.
1: Hey, this is Josh from Chicago. Uh, I actually have a bone to pick with Melissa from Brooklyn, who called a few weeks
3: back, bashing the fact that you guys put the Pixies on your Desert Island jukebox.
2: I feel like the Desert Island pick is your opportunity to really introduce people to something remote and special and something that they would never, ever come across.
3: She's missing the whole point of what the Desert Island jukebox really is. It's songs that you can't live without. It's not about being a snob and being like, oh, I can't live without these songs, and you've never heard them. It's not about opening eyes. You guys do plenty of that during the show, and I can't thank you enough for that. And keep up the Desert Island jukebox. You're going in the right direction, and I love the songs that you're playing.
6: (laughs) ¶¶
3: Guys, this is Nate in Brooklyn. You know, as much as I respect Lori Anderson's body of work and her vision as an artist, she unfortunately falls into that trap that a friend of mine coined, the number one fan theory. She referred to New York as its Disneyland. As if as if now that there aren't heroin vials and bums occupying Thompson Square Park, great art is no longer possible. It is a fallacy of logic to presume that the former grittier dirtier, more dangerous New York somehow more conducive to better art. I say open your ears, open your eyes, wake up. There is great art and there's great artistic culture in New York now. And of course, the now is always the best time to be alive. Great show. Thanks. Bye. Captain says, put your head in your hands. Hi,
1: my name is Stu, and I'm calling from New York City. And I can't believe you guys sometimes. You did your review on the new Elvis Costello album, and you're saying you want him to do another album like this year's model. So basically, you want him to be a one-note wonder. You want all his albums to be exactly the same. And then you complain about acts that are all one-note wonders because... Reviewers will complain that, oh, gee, he's making the same album over and over again. So you can't have it both ways. Anyway, we love the show. We listen all the time. Bye.
4: No more messages.